Hi folks, a shout out this week to Sharon Pask, who did a review of the Take On Board podcast. Thanks, Sharon. She says, gender pay gap episode, very informative session with Emma Ray. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sharon, for taking the time to do a review. We love to get reviews here. And thanks to Emma for doing that episode. Second announcement for this week. This week we're hearing from Kari Hatch. And listen right through to the end of the episode where she shares resources because not only does she share some resources in the episode itself, but sent me a voice memo afterwards with some additional ones. So there's some gold in there. Radio on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast, where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halia Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting, yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking with Nicola Perro about board obligations in considering climate risk and the balance of operational versus strategic in times of crisis. As Nicola is a Gippslander and a board member of Destination Gippsland and Food and Fibre Gippsland, I know that she will have a lot to share with us about recent times being in a crisis. Gippsland's been at the centre of one of the devastating bushfires in Australia at the moment and the impact on both the tourism industry and agriculture will be enormous. I can't wait to get into the discussion today. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Nicola. Thank you very much. It seems to uh, certainly be timely. Yes. So firstly, let me just give you a bit of background about Nicola. As I mentioned, she's on the boards of Food and Fibre Gippsland, Destination Gippsland and Federation University Australia Council. And she was formerly on the Business Curriculum Advisory Board of Bahrain Polytechnic. If we've got time, we might hear a little about her being a CEO in the Middle East. With previous private, public, not-for-profit and government experience, Nicola has a comprehensive background in stakeholder management. Her global expertise comes from leadership roles in Australia, Greece, Canada, USA, Qatar and Bahrain. And her experience has been grown through experience in public venues, greenfield developments, events, local government, economic and tourism development. So I know she's going to have an enormous amount to share with us today. So Nicola, firstly, as I mentioned, you're from Gippsland. It's been at the centre of one of the major bushfires. So I'm pretty sure you've had a tough couple of weeks. How are you? Uh, look, I'm, I'm, I'm well. Uh, I think everyone, whether you're directly impacted or indirectly impacted, there's very much a sense of communities knitting together. Certainly a great deal of empathy and caring, sharing the journey. It's a long journey. Bushfires are a long journey. And Gippsland has, this isn't our first rodeo, if I could say it that way. We've suffered from drought like many parts of Australia in the past few years. So I think we feel we're rolling with the punches very much so now. 
all of the Gippslanders that I know, uh, whether they're close or far, unfortunately, you're not too close to the fires, although you are a Gippslander, so you are closer than I am, are feeling the effects and getting in and doing stuff. And these words around community, I'm hearing a lot. So that is the only silver lining, I think, on some of these events. Yes. Tell me, is there something in particular maybe that you're proud of from the last month or so? Look, a couple of things, I think. Uh, I was... I felt very flattered to have been uh, invited to consider the opportunity of being a ministerial appointee to Federation University Australia's Council. So after probity checks and, and that sort of thing, that was all completed just by prior Christmas and approved. I feel very proud to be representing guidance in the education sector such as that. And the second one is I sat on a smaller subcommittee within Destination Gippsland and over the period of Oh, probably eight to 10 months, we worked with consultants to develop what's called the DMP, the Destination Management Plan, which is really our roadmap and strategic goal setting, you know, over the next 10 years. So that was recently completed and released to the market to great accolades at uh, state government level and also, you know, within other regional tourism bodies. So pretty proud of what we've produced in that regard. And of course, Given the fire activity here, that will also come into its own because, of course, part of crises like fires or droughts is looking to how to put stimulus back into the market in an economic development sense. We're ready to go with a great deal of work already having been done on what you would call almost shovel-ready projects. Could you just tell us, Destination Gippsland, Food and Fibre Gippsland, can you give us the nutshell of what those organisations are about and then I'm wanting to get into some of those boardroom conversations. Food and Fibre Gippsland was the amalgamation of two not-for-profits. So that was East Gippsland Food Cluster and Agribusiness Gippsland. Gippsland, as you might know, is an enormously large region. And so it's very important, you know, within that region, we have six shires, so six councils. So we have multiple voices within the region. So wherever possible, it's great to look at collaborative opportunities in order to unite those voices and therefore have a better representation and advocacy, you know, externally to government and that sort of thing. So we recently completed the amalgamation. When I say recently, that was completed earlier last year and is now well and truly operating as a, a, you know, a united body. Destination Gippsland is the regional tourism body for the Gippsland region. So again, has a very large region to navigate and represent the, you know, what tourism looks like moving forward. They're both extremely important industry sectors for Gippsland. Obviously, being such a large region, tourism is important. It's also complex just because of those six shires and the diversity of tourism that's available here. Mm. Food and fibre, some people may not realise, but Gippsland produces just a little under 50% of Victoria's food and fibre. So climate aspects such as droughts, the ravaging impact of uh, these recent bushfires and also bushfires um, that occurred last year and in previous years, uh, they have an enormous impact on the food and fibre sector and that has a domino and a flow-on effect right back through to city dining room tables. Um, as many people are now reading this week in the media with you know, projected food price increases. So they're both very important sectors and they're both sectors that I feel extremely passionate about in regards to growth, best practice and good governance. 
Let's delve into some of that a little bit then. Obviously, the bushfires recently, whilst we've heard heard it said often, they are unprecedented. They probably were predictable. Client scientists have been telling us for some time that, obviously, the atmosphere is warming and that that will have effects such as these. And I think you'd said the board has considered some of these things, both for destination Gippsland and for food and fibre. So I'm wondering if you can give us a bit of an insight into some of those boardroom conversations to prepare for something like this for either of those organisations. Absolutely. Well, look, it gets quite uh, murky, I think, for boards because you start to fall into the, what are we looking at? Are we looking at at crises? Are we looking at impact? Are we looking at risks? Because at the moment we all say climate change and everybody has a different view as to what that might be. But certainly with regards to uh, boards and their approach to, I tend to prefer to it as climate risk. Once you have assessed what that risk is, then you fall into what would be your normal crisis management, response, recovery, management, that sort of thing. I mean, look, most of our listeners today would be aware of a couple of years ago, the Hutley opinion. And that found in the courts that the courts would likely view now and ongoing in the future that climate change risks are foreseeable business risks. That clearly places the obligation back on all of us that operate as board directors in regard to, I guess, looking at the relevancy of that and what the impact might be in regards to your obligations of due care and, you know, especially in relation to governance, risk and corporate strategies. So it's not really so much, I think, about considering the crises associated to climate risk but considering the impact exposure that your business might have. And that's where the challenge comes into it, because I don't really think that there's necessarily an easy book to write about this, because the impact potential to each and every business varies so hugely. But the fact that you have it on your agenda and you're thinking about what might impacts be for our organisation that's squarely the obligation of board directors now. And I'm not sure that enough companies are addressing it in a regular enough fashion. Certainly at Destination Gippsland, I think that we are experienced in checking in and assessing this area on a regular basis. And a lot of that has got to do with what we're already experiencing. You know, we've had several years of drought. So, you know, we've had bushfires before. We've now had the recent and ongoing bushfires. So we're comfortable in looking at where the exposures and potential impact might be for the organisation in that regard, and also the broader industry so that we can help counsel and consult. So I'm particularly interested in hearing about Destination Gippsland. As an outsider, as a non-Gippslander, what I've been hearing is that whilst East Gippsland has been incredibly impacted by the fires, other parts of Gippsland the tourism industry in particular, and this is our peak period over the Australian summer, other parts of Gippsland are also impacted in terms of tourism. People just aren't going because Gippsland, fires, we can't go there. So I'm wondering what the conversations of the board have been over the last couple of weeks around these things. For us, it's really about multi-layered messaging and multi-layered obligations. You're so right. Gippsland is such an enormous region and where I am, yes, there's smoke currently, but I'm, I'm located an hour and a half, two hours away. You can drive for four and a half hours pretty much from one end of Gippsland to the other. So the messaging becomes very important because now we have industry businesses that are directly impacted by the current fires and those that are indirectly impacted. And of course, that takes you into a 
complicated pathway of aspects such as business continuity insurance, for example. You know, if you're not directly impacted by the fires, but because of those fires, it's impacted the visitor attendance and therefore the visitor economy, you're very much economically impacted by these fires, mm. not so much necessarily seen by the insurance world. Mm. Um, so they are all the challenges to help work through as a body that represents within the industry. And so Destination Gippsland is, is like the umbrella organisation and supporting organisations in some of those conversations? Absolutely it is. We're also the primary representative voice to connect with government. So, of course, we're working very closely with state representation, uh, Visit Victoria, Victorian Tourism Industry Council, all of those bodies, because everybody has a piece to play, but it's really important that messaging is aligned. And, of course, our challenge with Destination Gippsland is to be able to navigate in the best interests of multiple parties. You have to be cautious about calling people back into areas too quickly when there's quite intense smoke impact. You know, um, in Melbourne, Melbourne people are, are, are feeling very much directly the effects of, of smoke at the moment. Mm. Um, but there are still many, many places across Gippsland that are not impacted, that are still beautiful to visit. So the call to action for people to understand the complexities of the region by way of size and therefore diversity and therefore options of different places to go. For a short period, you know, while East Gippsland is addressing the response period and then moves from response quickly into recovery actions. During this period, so the last month or so in particular, I guess for East Gippsland, they've been, the fires have been burning for longer than that, but the last month or so in particular has been quite challenging. Often when there is an event like this, the board gets their fingers in a little bit more. And sometimes that is entirely appropriate. From your experience of the last month or so, what has been that balance between what the board does, what management does, and maintaining that right balance, or even how that line has moved during events like this? What are your insights there from the organisations that you're involved in? It's Look, it's always tricky. Crises, disasters, heightened moments in business such as this, Board members, I think, are, are often inundated with couch expert advice. And I think we would probably all agree that suddenly we have a, a nation of social media couch experts on fires and why they're caused and how they're caused and how they should be dealt with. And so as a board member it, during times like that, every friend or family or colleague, they want to vent their opinion. Um, they want to share. They want to know what you're doing. So these are all answers which generally are operational in nature. But you also don't want to be an uninformed board representative. You know, part of the role of every board director is to be a positive ambassador for the organisation that they're representing. So there are emotive times, for sure, and the ones where everyone seeks to contribute. So I think that more than any other time, this is so important for boards to be able to understand their role and to allow management to do their job at a time when their full attention to that job is required. At the same time, boards need to be kept informed and briefed by management. Ideally, that needs to go through the chair. No CEO wants to be having four, seven, 11 calls during busy days of focus like this going, oh, what's the latest, what's going on? So channeling all of that through the chair, and of course that places, I think, additional obligations on a chair rising to the occasion such as these times. 
But I think probably a reflective moment is always for board directors to look at themselves and go, am I remaining in the helicopter? Because my job is to be in the helicopter. Right now, the job of the management team is to be boots on the ground, very clearly responding and developing plans. So what's the role of the board? Well, the board, as I said, is to remain in the helicopter, to be thinking about risk, risk exposure, risk management. So looking at legal, financial, reputational welfare of staff. So checking in and and assessing your resources at these times, making sure that you're trying to plan ahead, give the management the very best support and structure they can to excel at their jobs right now. Clear governance, I think, in the face of emergent circumstances is the absolute priority of a board. Boards just can't be attempting to row the boat during challenging times of crisis, or I think it all starts to fall apart quite quickly. So I want to draw on two things you said there. Firstly, the role of the chair. So I'm wondering if you can just share with us as much as you can. Uh, Let's choose one of those organisations. For argument's sake, Destination Gippsland. How has the role of the chair of that organisation over the last month or so, how has it changed or how have you seen that role come to light in recent times? Well, it certainly changed in many respects. At the end of last year, our previous chair, Sue Smethurst, came to the end of her tenure and she's pursuing personal projects at the moment, uh, writing new new books. And so we have a new chair, Nick Murray. Uh, Nick's certainly very experienced, but he's new in the role of the chair, so absolutely in the chair of this organisation, so absolutely no ill-worded pun intended, but um, it certainly is a baptism of fire for him. So he's kind of coming... Sorry, when did he step into the chair role? He's just come into the role. Uh, he's, he was be, he's been a board director. Yes. He's moved into the role of chair, middle of end of November last year, Christmas period, and and here we are. Nick is confident. He's engaged. He's certainly very well connected politically, etc. Uh, Nick also lives in East Gippsland, so he's very much directly exposed to and and impacted by what's going on, you know, with the fires currently. But certainly he's been very busy. It's it's a lot of time because you need to check in with other directors. You need to be formulating that feedback. You need to be making sure that you're putting forward not just your view as a chair, but the, the general consensus of the board. People are away still on, on vacation. So collating and collecting those views are important. We just had an extraordinary board meeting yesterday, actually, in sale. And that was more just as a, a follow-up to phone calls and engagement with a priority focus on, on looking at our staff welfare, assessing our resources, briefing board members on exactly where we're up to, the CEO being able to provide the board members with current action plans and proposed action plans, briefings from our other stakeholders. We have observers on the board that are representatives from LGN, the local Gippsland government network, from Parks Victoria, from Visit Victoria, from Regional Development Victoria. So it was a great opportunity for all of us to be brought up to speed from those agencies on where things are up to and what the challenges might be moving forward. Because I guess if you're not living in Gippsland or you're not generally close to fire seasons and things like that, we're all very much aware This is really just the start of what is normally the bushfire season. Now, we had a huge storm, a huge storm in Warrigal last night. Lots and lots of beautiful, beautiful rain fell. But I was checking the social media feeds this morning and I see, you know, across at Painesville and Orbost and, you know, Bensdale, 
they got like 50 drops. So it, it, it won't have helped them a great deal at the moment, unfortunately. Right. Yes. I was thinking exactly the same as the rain was coming down here. I was hoping it was reaching East Gippsland, but it sounds like not much of it did. No. And so, of course, this is a period of resilience. You know, this is not a case of we've had all these fires and now it's over and now we've got to just march forward because it's it's finished. We definitely hope it is finished, but there's still a long way to go to get to the end of summer. Hello, fabulous people. It's Helia, and I'm just popping in here to let you know that places in the 2020 Board Accelerator program are filling fast. There's only two places left in the evening program and four in the morning program. So if you're keen, get in touch as soon as you can. Board Accelerator is for women who are already on boards, women just like you. So it's a place to come together and share experiences and resources and to collectively grow our governance wisdom. The monthly sessions are run via Zoom, so you can participate from wherever you are in the world. And there's also an option to join us in person in Melbourne for quarterly full-day sessions. There's a link in the show notes for more information, or just get in touch. Note that early bird prices close this Friday, the 24th of January. I would love to welcome you to the group. Okay, now back to the show. That board meeting you had just yesterday and bringing in a whole lot of other people is part of, by the sounds of things, that way of keeping everybody informed and keeping everybody up to date on what's going on. And the chair, wow, what an interesting time to come into the chair role. Absolutely. Um, look, it, look, it's very much a two-way channel of information for sure. But it's also, you know, for so many reasons, one, because obviously everybody wants to be kept up to speed. Two, you need to ensure that messaging is consistent, is all aligned. So if you leave people disconnected, people do their best to fill in the gaps. We just want to make sure that our board are not filling in gaps. They are informed so there aren't any gaps. We have a very mature board and a very diverse board, but managing through crisis response is not something that we're facing for the first time. And in fact, one of the other things you mentioned earlier about the crisis response is also that support of the staff and the support of the CEO. So I'm just wondering if you can share share with us some of the things that that looks like as well as advice to other boards who might experience similar events. What does that support look like both to the staff and to the CEO during these periods? Certainly a, uh, a welfare check-in via the CEO because obviously it's the CEO's, their management team. So checking in on their welfare, but also from a board's perspective, looking at do we feel that there are sufficient resources? Because obviously in crises, you've got to be very careful that you don't just risk dropping day-to-day business obligations in order to respond to a crisis. Ongoing day-to-day business obligations have to continue. So you are asking existing staff to not only take on extra workload and manage parallel focuses, but also deal with all of the management team. They have friends, family, colleagues themselves that are directly impacted by these bushfires. They live in some of these areas. So the additional stress that comes with all of this is something that boards have to be acutely aware with. It's it's emotional. Mm. It's very time expectant. 
So making sure that the CEO feels comfortable that staff are not just committed, but they're on top of what they need to be on top of. And then you need to address, okay, what are the crisis-related resources that we need to look at right now in order to help bolster the efforts of the staff and also to avoid that day-to-day business focus being pushed to one side. Mm, Yes, yeah, so that whole... um what's the saying, you know, walk and chew gum, being able to deal with what is immediately in front of you at the same time as being able to deal with the other things that need to be dealt with. Absolutely. Because look, in times of recoveries, doesn't matter what industry sector you look at, recovery also brings opportunities. More than ever before, the board truly needs to be in the helicopter and looking just beyond this immediate period, you know, so that there's very much a strategic view that is put in place now as part of those recovery plans. So those discussions with government, with funding, because actions are required before funding streams flow through. So there is probably, I think, more obligation on boards in regards to governance and being very clear on governments around fiscal expenditure, support, activation. This is not a time when anyone can say, well, can we just hold off for a couple of weeks while we seek some more approvals? It's, but you also have to be careful that um, you're not in such emergent and urgent circumstances that governance has been thrown out the window. And then after the crisis, everyone's kind of like, oh my God, where's the paper trail? Where's the process to be shown? All of that sort of thing. So it's a complicated space. It absolutely is. And you're right, you're right in the thick of it. Oh, Nicholas, there are so many things that I'd love to hear more about the amalgamation process that you went through, but that might have to be a conversation for another podcast, I think. There's been so many fabulous tips in here for boards in dealing with these sorts of emergency events. What are the main points that you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today? Look, I think a few things. I'm very passionate about um, encouraging women to join boards. You know, it's certainly one area of, of diversity, and we all know that there could certainly be greater number by way of representation of women on boards. Learning about being a board director to me is very important. So I would certainly encourage people to remember that being a board director, I think, is sometimes viewed by people who don't take up board directorships as, oh, that's great. You're sitting on the board. That must be lots of fun and that sort of thing. Being a board director is hard work. And if it's not hard work, then I don't think you're doing it right. This is not about just taking a seat at the table and being a place marker. Board directors need to be productive. So to do that, you know, it requires individual work in order to deliver that best practice into a whole board. You have to educate yourself. You have to keep informed. I think you have to be curious. Mm. And most importantly, read board papers. Mm. Um, People that go to board meetings and then are kind of reading them there and then, we all have those moments where it's been you know pretty full-on couple of weeks but this is your obligation this is why you're contributing in the first place so you're not doing your job unless you have taken the time to keep yourself relevant with what's going on in your organization but also what's going on with board representation generally reflecting on your best skill set and your passion and your values and making sure that you strategically target boards and sectors that are good fits. I don't think that that necessarily means you should be sitting on boards because you particularly love that industry, but there's no point sitting on a board where you lack any interest either. So finding that alignment is really important. 
And I also think remembering your role as a board director, especially in moments of crises, you know, have clear understanding of what crisis management processes are within your organisations and sharpen up your governance skills, which should be quite sharp if you've gone into a board director role anyway. The conversation we've had today is a fantastic reminder of that and how to, how to maintain that balance when you're in the middle of that sort of crisis. Have you got a resource that you might be able to recommend to our community, a book or a TED Talk or a podcast? Is there something that you'd like to recommend? Look, I'm an, I'm an avid consumer. I was born with a natural sense of curiosity and that, that stays with me even now. So for me, um, yes, I'm a regular consumer of TED.com and you know, TED Talks, that sort of thing. Women on boards, I find exceptionally helpful insofar as broadening networks and forming on industry trends, but also monitoring opportunities. So even if you're not ready to get onto a board yet, you know, joining women on boards and being able to see and monitor those opportunities, I think that really helps. New scientists for the curious and the innovative, I just, I, I find that piques my curiosity and keeps my brain thinking about left field issues. And a book that I'm reading at the moment is actually by a Gippsland woman called Leah Mether. And it's called uh, Soft is the New Hard. So it's how to communicate effectively under pressure. It's not a long read. It's not a deep, deep read. It's a great reminder read. And there's some absolute pearls of wisdom in there. And I think that communicating effectively, especially under pressure, is really important for all of us. And it's really important for board directors so that you can competently have those difficult discussions and ask those hard questions. Well, I'll make sure I put a link to all of those things in the show notes, to Women on Boards, New Scientist, and to Leah's book, Soft is the New Heart. It sounds fantastic. So I'll put a link to all of those in the show notes. And we'll also put links to your organisations, Destination Gippsland and Food and Fibre Gippsland. I'm wondering, is there an emergency relief fund in particular that you would like us to link to in the show notes for this one? Gippsland Emergency Relief Fund is probably the main one. 100% of those funds, it's volunteer, and 100% of those funds go directly where they're needed. And they have been doing a huge amount over the past few years in regards to the drought. The thing with uh, Gippsland Emergency Relief Fund is they are processing those funds quickly. There are many families that have already received and are receiving now uh, those funds. And that's really the importance, you know, is is raising all of this money is fantastic, but people actually, they need today assistance. Getting that on the ground. Absolutely. Well, I'll make sure I put a link to that in the show notes as well. Now, before we close, is, have you just got one maybe small brief story for us? You were a CEO in the Middle East, a female CEO in the Middle East. Got any snippets for us to close us out? Uh, look, when I was there, I was, I was actually one of the first Western female CEOs in the Middle East. So I get many discussions from people going, oh, what was that like? Could you drive? What'd you have to wear? That sort of thing. I have to tell you, I felt a, a huge sense of personal freedom during the six or seven years I lived in that region. And the one thing I have to say is I found that the people I engaged with over there started from an assumption that you were accomplished to be there in the first place. So there wasn't a sense of, you still have to deliver, but there wasn't a sense of, I have to prove myself rather than my credentials, speaking a little bit from the start. So it's a different starting point than what I've found in many other countries. When I was there, the crazy kind of happens all the time. I uh, That particular role I was headhunted for and I was taken out to an area opposite the Bahrain Formula One racetrack. 
-hmm. And uh, I was showing a million square meters of sand and said, make Bahrain proud. And that was the remit for the development. So I don't think you often get opportunities of, of somewhat of a blank checkbook, you know, and said, make Bahrain proud. So that was probably one of the most interesting roles that I think I've, I've ever had. Fantastic. Oh, gosh. I'm going to have to get you back a couple of times for all of these stories. <laughs> Thank you so much, Nicola, for sharing your experience and particularly your experience over the last few weeks. Thank you for making the time in what I know is a difficult time. And please just share all of our support for Gippslanders, but through your role. And as I say, I'll make sure I share some of those links to not just the resources that you've suggested, but also the Gippsland Emergency Relief Fund, which I really encourage our listeners to make a contribution to. So. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. Thank you so much. And look, one last thing that I'd really like to encourage people to do is come back to Gippsland. Mm. Come, come with an empty esky. You know, Gippsland is so diverse. There are so many places to, to visit. This won't work. We won't come out of the other end of this without the support uh, internationally from tourism, but also domestically from tourism. So come back. Gippsland is a beautiful, beautiful region to visit. Fantastic. It certainly is. So I know we have listeners from all around Australia and across the world. So whether you're a Victorian, Australian or an international, Gippsland is the most magnificent place. So I love that call to action. Go see it. Thank you. Thank you, Nicola. Thank you uh, for sharing your wisdom. Very welcome. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together so it's great to be able to share these conversations that I'm having with these amazing group of women with you. Now, can I ask a favour? Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. With your help, we can grow the Take On Board community. Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group, where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation.